Hello Gothic friends, this is Alice and you are in Gothicland, a place where you find about your true self. And today I bring you a new episode. It's actually an interview. In this interview on our section, uh, The Road to Self-Recognition, I have for you Dr. Alessandra Pino, who is actually the co-writer of a Gothic cookbook. This book is fantastic, it's very special and you're going to see why. It's nothing like what you're thinking about a gothic cookbook you're probably thinking about arms and legs and more into the horror side of things but actually you're going to be very surprised of the gothic elements how beautiful the book is about the recipes you're going to find out about the alessandras and all the other collaborators journeys you're going to learn a lot about identity and how much we can find uh, how much about ourselves we can find out in the, in the projects that we take in life so come with me to this interview you're gonna love it you're gonna learn tons of things you're gonna learn how you know from the moment that the idea is created is is born until the time of making it real how that is for the gothic space which is actually a space that a lot of people still misunderstand so i hope you're ready because the, the, the journey is fantastic so i'll see you there Hello, good morning for us, Alessandra Pino, Dr. Alessandra Pino. How are you today? Hi, Alice. It's lovely to be here. I'm fine. I'm even better now that I'm a doctor. <laughs> it makes a, a difference, doesn't it? It's like, well, yeah, I'm sure myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. First of all, congratulations. Thank you, Thank you very and, much. And welcome to Gothic Land, a place where we discover ourselves through many different Gothic aspects. And uh, we have you here because, uh, well, I've, I've been trying to interview you for a long time, but we're all so busy. I know. That it's like, it's never, you know, to find the time, it was difficult. But this book of yours, we're going to be trying, we're going to talk about a book that you're writing uh, yes. with someone else. And the reason why um, I wanted you here is because, obviously, the Gothic aspect of things. 
but also because we can find and learn so much. I mean, the last time we were talking, I thought, oh my God, I never thought of these things, of these aspects. And we're gonna do that bit of a journey through your through your experience with your writing your book, with food, how, why the Gothic, why identity in this case as well, uh, all the things that we can find and we can learn. And uh, yeah, this is what we're gonna be doing people. So. As always, I like to doing I like doing my little <laughs> slide. What is this? There you go. This is our presentation. <laughs> wow. Yes, that's what I was asking you about about pictures. You know, Amazing. like let's get this collage done. Yeah, this is what we're going to be talking about today. It's a um, a section in Alice in Gothicland. I have this section called um, the Road to Self Recognition, and it's what we have here now in the banner. And it's a section that has started with uh, Midnight Mass, started with Midnight Mass, analyzing the Gothic and the horror uh, and identity and elements of the Gothic uh, through Midnight Mass with Tuche Kutlu. And in one of our episodes, we mentioned you. <laughs> yeah, it was like we started, I think it was episode four, and somehow, obviously, uh, blood vampires came into it and we said yeah food oh that's remind that reminds me of ali's book and we started talking about it so it was like yeah this is the the time now to do to do this to get on and then talking to talk to ali so thank you uh, it's yeah it's brilliant we're all in this little space aren't we before we go into the interview, because what I want to do is to for, for our audience to know more about you, uh, what you do, where you come from, and you know, like the normal questions, but then we're gonna go in depth a little bit more into the rabbit hole of what is food and what they got again, what you've yeah. learned through all this process as well. Sure. So before we go into anything, people supporters. You can find me in coffee.com, Alice in Gothic Land, 1402, very romantic. This is the, the, the thing that coffee gives you. And in a moment, I'm going to give everybody how to support your, your project, but Thank I don't you. want to give any spoilers yet. First, we're going to look at some things and we're going to start talking a little bit about, I'm going to show these next. We'll intrigue them first and then see if they want to support us. Exactly. I'm sure they <laughs> will be deserved. If you don't like the idea, then don't support it. <laughs> don't support it, but at least you've, you've watched it, you've seen yeah. it. I think this is the teaser. This is These what are, are amazing, amazing illustrations by Lee Henry. Um, so he's uh, done the designs for and the illustrations, obviously, for each chapter. Okay, yeah, we need to write his book as well, uh, his name as well. So then yes. when we're the references, yeah, it'd be fantastic. Ella. So the first one is that we can see there is a couple of stars from the haunting of Hill House. And wow. then, yes. And then on the top right is the wonderful tea spread in Rebecca. Oh. Yes. And then we have obviously a selection, uh, the bottom right um, with, I think at the front is Dracula. So with the paprikash dish. Right. So it's amazing. So now we are intrigued already because you've been taking these recipes from different gothic books that's right and why did you decide to do this this is now when we start with your project with sure. the collaboration so how did the idea pop up i know that you've talked about this in yes. many other places but 
how did the idea pop up and why this format and just take us through all of that well i was doing a phd in cultural memory and um, actually a, a cuban-american writer called christina garcia and mm -hmm. i began investigating on sugar and the violence on the plantations and how that translated in a literary um, sense and um, i started getting interested in the idea of gothic food so normally when we think of food we think of something joyous and bonding and happy and wholesome but actually what goes in behind the process and production of food isn't necessarily those things it can be um, extremely um, violent and quite detached from the world that we experience we go to the supermarket and we pick out items without fully knowing in what way they have been produced or processed or how they've reached those shelves. And I was interested because obviously the Gothic is a genre where anxiety and violence and aggression plays quite, and fear plays a very large role. And I started analyzing how food functioned within those texts. And one of my best friends, <clears throat> whom I always speak to about food because she's a food journalist and a mm. writer and um, researcher in food from a historical perspective, um, Ella Bakken. Uh, I started kind of speaking to her about all this. And um, for my birthday, she sent me a, a big book <laughs> of stories by Edgar Allan Poe. And ah. she said, Ali, this is for you. It's for your birthday. I said, it's so beautiful. Um, she said, you know, actually, I was looking for something to do with food and horror and food and the Gothic and recipes, but I couldn't find anything. And that's when we decided that we ought to write that book. So that's how it all started. And um, so a bit of a strange beginning in a way, but connected to my PhD studies, um, which started yeah three years ago and ended uh, ended last week <laughs> when I became a doctor finally. Um, but yeah, in a way, the studies that I've done in memory also connect quite well to the Gothic, you know, how we remember things and the function that food and the role that food plays in how we remember things. Uh, we might be reminded of a really wonderful memory or event, or we might be reminded of a, a, a person that's very influential for us. Um, and that might be a good thing, but sometimes food can also remind us of things that are less pleasant. Yeah, yeah. This is the thing that when you were talking to me, I thought we were talking um, a couple of weeks ago. I thought, oh gosh, yeah, it's it's just I've not thought of that, and, and it's really uncanny how we don't think about it. We know it, so this is where all the shadows are, but we don't really think about it like when you tell us so is that kind of information that we can also find in the book like the behind the scenes absolutely so i'll just explain the structure of the book it's going to be 13 chapters and each chapter is dedicated to um, researching and explaining how food functions in that particular novel and so there's um, a kind of essay at the beginning and then there will be around five recipes per chapter and the recipes are inspired by the food which is in those books um, so for Dracula, we have uh, paprikash, hendel and 
um, for, for example, Rebecca, we have cakes that you see in the spread as well here in the slide. Um, so uh, gingerbread cake. And then for Jane Eyre, we have the famous seed cake that she eats when she's at school. And, wow. um, and and so on. So there will be various recipes inspired by them. And I have to say the recipes are nice. They're not because when people think of Gothic food, they think, oh, perhaps it will be something a little bit inspired by something gruesome. And it's not. Mm -hmm. uh, the food in itself will be obviously a tasty recipe that you can reproduce. It's more analysing what food does in that context. And it's something unusual. In fact, this is the first Gothic cookbook that will that that exists so it's yes. the first one in the world there's no other <laughs> yes this actually fascinates me because when we talk about finding you know creators we talk about finding your niche you find your niche through ella going to these um bookshop trying to find something very specific thinking about you so that says a lot about her friendship with you i need to find something and it's especially just for my friend that is for her that i know she would love so she already had created this book in her mind yes and then she decided to find it but obviously it wasn't there and then yeah. it she told you and you find your niche and there are people there that spend years trying to figure out their niche <laughs> and you found this fantastic idea together and it's great because you can see just with the illustrations and how you're explaining the the episodes and, and the chapters and how everything is elaborated there's so much passion there there's obviously you know things that that you found that you wanted to read and you're putting it in the way that this book is almost like for you but it can reach so many other people like you so i think that's so fascinating and and very inspiring for people who are in this space that thing, well, the Gothic is only entertainment. Well, actually, no, look, we can actually teach through this entertainment. It's not just a pleasant book to read. It has a lot of research, isn't it? Because for every chapter, for every meal you've done, uh, you've cooked these things, you've visited places. So tell us a little bit about how this process, um, yeah. how you've elaborated all these. Yes, um, I think the Gothic is a kind of framework that we can use to analyze how food is used in this context, but it comes from putting together various different strands. So I just want to speak briefly about two very influential books when it comes to oh. food and how we consider food. So we have Much Depends on Dinner by Margaret Visser. Oh, nice. And she talks here about the role, for example, of women as gatekeepers of food, the idea of control, even down to the fact of how we use cutlery and how potentially it could be a dangerous utensil, but the way that we have um, been used to live socially with each other, we wouldn't feel threatened at the dinner table. Um, but in some cases, things have happened at the dinner table and perhaps we have used a spoon incorrectly <laughs> to, um, <laughs> harm someone um <laughs> it's the potential danger that exists and um and i think what these gothic texts do because the gothic is all about tension and anxiety and things that could happen don't necessarily happen but there is a potential there um and it's creating this sense of underlying fear and creepiness that we 
love about the Gothic. Um, then Sidney Mintz, with his book Sweetness and Power, talks about this. And specifically, he looks at sugar. He talks also in general about processed foods and the threat that we feel today living in a society where we don't fully know what goes into our food. So we have to be especially careful and that weight seems to be all on us. It's a pressure that's on the individual now to work out, is this healthy? Is this organic? Where does this come from? What kind of meat is it? Can I trust the kind of meat that I'm about to eat? It says it's pork, but what if it's something else? And these kind of errors have happened in the past where we think we're eating one type of meat. Actually, it's another type of meat, okay? So what does that do to us as a people? And the stress that that puts on our, on our shoulders, um, especially if, yes, you're not just feeding yourself, you're perhaps feeding a family. Sure. So, um, I for me, the Gothic was just a great lens into this world of, um, of fear and danger that normally people wouldn't think when it comes to food. So, sure. yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've actually, um, you started looking, obviously, when you do your research and as you do your research, you realize that there are a lot of other things we can talk about. Yes. To make it really like believable, and uh, you you've been to places, you try the food that you, you cook it, you try it, then from that experience, you actually put that in the book as well. We're going to through the recipes, we'll explain obviously why we use certain recipes, and it's more an exploration of the literary text. Um, so, for example, in Jane Eyre, uh, we, where we take the seed cake and we try to go back to the original recipe of the seed cake. And then we will obviously make it our own. Um, but the idea of why we use a seed cake is specific to how Jane feels in the text and what it means to her. So it's, main, it's meant to signify something which is wholesome and um, comforting because she is in a boarding school. She's had a terrible time at her aunt's house. She gets sent to this awful boarding school and the head teacher is truly a tyrant and she feels like she needs to escape from this and Miss Temple who is one of the nicer teachers invites her into her room and says here you go let's share this seed cake and in a way one might look at that and think well that's really nice it's a nice gesture this is a a moment of bonding and of, of love really but is it because in fact they are both hiding in many ways and mm. finding comfort and it's a kind of secret rebellion because the reason that Jane gets into trouble and that the teacher also gets into trouble is because they're eating bread and butter and they shouldn't be eating this um, after the porridge was burnt for everyone. They were meant to just go hungry. But the teacher says, well, no, let's have bread and butter. And then the head teacher reprimands her and humiliates her in front of everyone. So the teacher takes Jane and her friend and says, well, let's us have this seed cake, you know, a quiet rebellion. So the idea of food as well, that it can have various um, sides and various ways in which you can interpret the gesture of food, something which yeah. might seem comforting, but in fact, perhaps is full of sugar, isn't such a good idea. I mean, it, and but it's seen as a gesture of love, which can harm. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, it's that double edged sword that food can sometimes represent. That yes. was what interested me, yes. Yeah, and, and uh, you're making me think uh, 
and we were talking about this when we met last time that we are actually using our children to make them obey that way mm. what yes. messages are we sending them you know you get rewarded with poison by doing what i'm telling you and that's how a child you get accepted by mom and dad and then as a child you want to please your parents and then there's this circle of reward through food yes. and and if I, I give you more vet if you don't eat i mean now um, thankfully things have changed and now we reward with nice veggies and things like that as well because some kids it's like broccoli. yeah with broccoli you know my kids love broccoli it's a cauliflower <laughs> yeah cauliflower there you go no but with carrots carrot sticks and dippers that are more natural we now more and then we transmit that to them when we go shopping but it's true that the reward is always chocolate and it's sugar and what does that tell us about the identity that we're building you know, we reinforce in certain messages to our mm. children that are kind of wrong. But it's also what you say, this manipulation. And in that passage that you just told me, there's so much information culturally yes. in, in that food scene. And it's almost like, a, I don't know about you, but when I read a book, I put music and the music is like, head, is like the soundtrack of the book, like mm. when I'm watching a film. <laughs> And almost like by trying or, or or helping people try these recipes, when they eat that cake again, they're going to be thinking of that passage. They're going to be thinking about that book. So I think it's a beautiful way of expanding the reading. You know that nowadays people are well, some people well, people don't like reading. Some people still don't like reading. What about intriguing them into read more gothic through food as well? How how interesting! It's, another, it's just another door into another way of interpreting the text and I think because food is such a subconscious part of our life as well which we have to do we have to eat we have to eat at least two to three times a day normally we would we would eat and it's something that we do we don't give much thought to this but um Sydney Mintz talks about this a lot in and says that because we live such a a, a rushed life nowadays um we we tend to overlap the pleasures so the pleasure that food can give us is combined to the pleasure of doing something else at the same time like watching a film or we might be on our phones so we might be doing three things two or three things while we eat it's no longer eating in its primary function which was a way of also bonding with others so you would actually share food and it would be a way to network it's kind of the opposite now we we would probably more frequently eat alone and it's purely to nourish us but because of the nature of the food um, which is you know often processed in a way that isn't nourishing what are we actually eating what ideas are we eating so then all the advertising comes into it and the images that we get from you know if we're drinking coca-cola we're having a refreshing yeah. break or if we're having coffee which originally was meant to kind of wake us up now it's actually a moment of relaxation so even food can contain these contrasting messages these mixed messages um and i find that really fascinating and i think right at the beginning of my research one of the first things that really made me curious and want to know more was obviously i'm a big horror film fan and i noticed that in every nearly without fail at the beginning of every film there is some food 
item, a reference to food or a food scene in which we get to know the character that's about to be possessed or that something terrible is about to happen. And they are eating something which can be in a certain sense interpreted as dangerous. So they're either eating a microwaved meal, they're eating oh. something unhealthy, they are um, you know, doing something that they shouldn't be doing in terms of food and food language. And then we kind of know, right, something is about to happen here. And perhaps op in, in parallel to that, we've seen them that m m maybe being, you know, not eating meat or being vegetarian, being vegan even, or protesting against, I don't know, um, eating meat. And, and suddenly we see that they start eating meat. So this is a clear signal that something has taken possession of their bodies and is now expressing itself through the body because it's doing something in food terms and in the food language, which doesn't correspond to how that character would have originally acted. So I'm thinking specifically of, for example, the possession um, where she is vegetarian at the beginning and there's a whole scene at school where she's holding up posters, don't kill cows and don't do this. And then we see her possessed open fridge, kneeling down, eating um, a raw steak, dripping with blood. And we know she's been possessed. And obviously then we do see the monster, we do see, um, but sometimes we don't, we just see this manifestation through food. And it's mm. very powerful because we might not realize that we're so close to these food symbols, but there yeah. are symbols all around us. So, and we can, we, and we get an idea of the person and of a situation through food and how, how one behaves through food as well. Yeah, it's amazing because then we are going to be associating meat with something evil. Exactly, exactly. So, well, in this, and in this, I think is the most important thing that this type of analysis and analyzing what is evil in, in our minds and what is portrayed as evil in films is a lens into how we live today. So obviously eating meat, um, few hundred years ago was probably something quite difficult to do now everyone nearly everyone can buy meat um and it's not you know as expensive or as elitist as it was before um so the fact that yes vegetarianism and veganism is more important now for us and that that possession manifests itself through eating meat is quite significant so it's not seen whereas in for example frankenstein um, mm -hmm. vegetarian recipes because the monster is vegetarian and oh, he abstains from that. eating meat so okay. he abstains he says i'm not worthy of eating meat so their meat is seen as something very valuable and precious and okay. being human is to eat meat whereas he says well i don't enter into this um into this world because i am monstrous so i will eat acorns and in fact we have a recipe for acorn well, bread oh. with acorn flour and um, shepherd's um, bake as well, which I think you can find all these things online, but we'll give the links later so people can yeah. have a look. But yes, the idea is giving an, a reason behind, you know, each um, recipe as well in terms of what are we living through now and how has that changed from before? So it's, um, it's a little bit of a, I don't know, a clue as to how things are societally as well. So an analysis through food, really. Very, it's very intriguing, it's very interesting because um, we are reading the story or we're reading these stories and we never pay attention to the food 
And what you're doing here is actually saying to us, look, just look at what the message is behind these person's habits and routines and the things that they he or she is eating or this family is eating. So and we are missing this out. We don't pay attention what they're just eating. And you know, you're just telling me about Frankenstein. I never thought of that. Uh, no, we always analyze the monster and this relationship with this father, the creator, the, the, the godly thing. We we look into gender things. We look into how he was born. You know, we look into everything, but not food. So and now we do, Alicia. <laughs> you know, and I love it because we were missing out so much information. You know, it was a time, yes. It's time, because, it's time because of the pressure that we, as people, are being put on when it comes to choosing what food we eat now. It's become yeah. our social responsibility to eat differently, to eat less meat because of environmental issues. And yeah. that just prompts one to look back in time and see, right, well, what was important before and why? And what was changing in society then? Um, so that's what uh, interests me. It goes hand in hand with a kind of historical analysis as well. Yes. Um, but the recipes are delicious, I just want to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you've tried them and, and they're good. And, and and you historically, you're kind of doing something for, for, for the food um, area as well for, I don't know, if people when people start in these restaurants, I'm going to might want to start recreating it's definitely something to think about as in um, kind of a gothic style supper or yeah. dinner. Yeah. Um, you can take a recipe from each chapter and do that. Def definitely. And cocktails. Drink was quite important as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think things are, things have changed as well, you know, the, the, and, and how that is also in, in the language, you know, being someone that teaches uh, the language myself and they are worried about communication. Uh, the fact that um, you say tea time, you know, I remember tea time the first time I went to England and tea time, I thought they, everybody was going to be drinking tea. And I'm thinking, when are we properly eating here in this country? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I think also that the, the times have changed and um, what we would have. I don't know, perhaps people have tea time at four. For example, in Rebecca, it's four o'clock, it's tea time, and it's always on the dot. And that becomes some sort of real um, kind of um, something that she dreads. Rebecca, uh, the, it's the second Mrs. De Winter, I should think, <coughs> not Rebecca, the second Mrs. De Winter. Um, I don't know if you know the story. She marries Maxim and she moves into Mandalay, this amazingly beautiful house. Um, and she feels oppressed and this oppression comes from meal times as well because she would like to eat um, under a chestnut tree and have her sandwiches and tea and um, just on her own but she has to go into Mandalay, go into the tea room, um, sit down and this monstrous tea teapot and all the crockery and everything around her becomes nearly, they become the monsters so she feels oppressed by this Oh, wow. um, display and that's in one of the illustrations that we saw before by by Lee so um it's a it looks nice but oh, yeah, you know, the context of what she's feeling and how she feels trapped um then and and kind of trapped in the mystery of and also trapped by Mrs Danvers behavior who is oh, yeah. the dreaded housekeeper 
Yeah, the food like in an oppressive way, in manipulative way. Yes. And also because you're talking here social class, we're not just talking about um, the identity that is one mm. of the things I, I, I like talking about here, but <clears throat> also social class. Yeah, again, depending on your social class, that will define your identity too, so we can escape it. Yes. Uh, but yeah, these routines that we have integrated and what they mean to us, uh, yes, it's, it's fascinating, all this. And it's making me think back to when I lived in the UK and culturally it was a shock because in my English classes, nobody had ever told me that people drank tea and they put milk on that. They never mm -hmm. talked about the sugar, non-sugar on tea, which is something that you told me about when we were, um, we were talking the first yes. time. And it's amazing the message behind that and your experience with, with sugar and how how you kind of worry about you and how everything this cookbook idea it doesn't just didn't just start with Ella telling you hey I'm I'm looking for this book you went back in time yes and that reminded you of a very specific moment in your childhood it did because I had a babysitter who would would put so much sugar in her tea and when I started drinking tea I started copying her and putting lots of sugar in my tea and my father said uh, don't do that because we don't do that. Now I'm half Venezuelan, he's Venezuelan, and I I was confused by this because I was born in London, and I didn't see that there was anything wrong. Obviously, from his background, he would see that as something very British, and he didn't feel fully British. He was Venezuelan, and he didn't identify in that food space with that um, excessive consumption of sugar. So when he said to me, they do this, not us, um, I realized that I was there was some sort of clash going on there. So definitely that's influenced this sense of what is other and what is dangerous and what that would mean if I did do that. It was quite disappointing for him. So oh. um, and that was a memory that I only that kind of came to me only recently when I finished writing my thesis, which is all about sugar. And I remembered this, this possibly is what is the origin, the real origin of why I wanted to write about this, because there's, and it's what we discussed before, there's, there's power and danger in, in sugar in ways that we are not necessarily part of um, on a daily basis, because we're so cut off from how sugar is produced. And I think with many things, if we saw the sites of production and how things are produced, we probably wouldn't eat them and we probably wouldn't consume them in the same way, um, sometimes thoughtlessly. So, yeah. yes, I think that's a big part of, of my studies and also to raise awareness of that, I think, is important as well. And we can see that through literature. Most of the time, the writers that talk about this um, are not fully aware that they are using food in this way. So that's another thing I wanted to go back to when you talked about um, things that we don't notice. You know, we don't really notice the food in these novels. We don't notice. It's not a main central part of the Gothic novel, um, the food, you know. But actually, because it isn't a central part, it is so interesting to see what it does in the text because it, it is sending us signals and messages that are appealing to our subconscious and we're subconsciously categorizing a character as perhaps good or bad because he overeats 
Um, so, for example, in Jane Eyre, again, her cousin overeats. He's very greedy and um, he eats all these tarts and sweet things. And that's seen as, an, as a negative, you know, and it says, you know, he, he would die young. So we don't necessarily think, you know, that connection between food and uh, character, but it is it is there and it does contribute to how we we perceive the text and like and what we think of the story and the characters. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, we I like always to go back to the whys because there's so much information there that why do we do things and and how the people can learn from that um so yeah it's, it's amazing it's amazing i'm gonna go to something else now well i want to show this first yes there you go so i've been putting it all the time look it's all over the place <laughs> so to for people to support book and I mean if there are other links that you want to send me later you can think of obviously I would like to also thank Ella Wushan, and and Lee Henry because he's the guy with the illustrations yes yeah, so Ella's really busy at the moment with work and um there yes weren't able to but perhaps in the future yeah I hope so because then we can have this party time talking about the book and and, she's and developing the, the recipes as well as um as everything else and she's you know her speciality is obviously um matching you know finding the best possible recipe that would fit with mm -hmm. the with the text so yes doing that so once that's more developed because the thing is at the moment we're 85 percent funded so we haven't reached 100 yet so we're just waiting and then um, there will still be some time, obviously, to continue with with the with the testing with of the recipes and everything else. So, yes, be, hopefully we'll be funded soon because it would be great to have it out by Halloween. Oh, that'd be fantastic! So that's when you're thinking of of launching it. Yes. Yes. That's so. All goes cool. well, and we're fully funded. Um. Yes. T tell us a bit about now the process of the creation of this creature of <laughs> your, your baby because yeah. um, a lot of people out there also have ideas for 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 books for Nikita, and then we all find this moment where okay am i self-publishing am i going to go for an editorial am i going to go like in your case i'm really fascinated about it and i'm really interested as well because i think uh, it would be very useful to teach or to tell other people that might have similar thoughts on their own space, how can this be done and and what which are the steps? Yes. And not to be scared, you know, because I'm thinking about myself sometimes I think, well, there's this big wall of indie authors, uh, self-publishing, uh, am I going with an editor? Because this is, you have an idea, but then the idea needs to go out there. So how do you transition as well because that can be like a, a right mental block for for the writer for the creator yes i think the gothic is always so cutting edge isn't it it always has these different ways it does it never stops it always evolves um mm -hmm. anything i can think of has a gothic aspect or is in some way gothic and it might be because i love the gothic but I've heard other people say this as well. And that's yeah. why there are so many authors that self-publish and so many different mediums just to get the Gothic out there. It doesn't really matter how, and there's no prejudice against this. There are self-published authors that are amazing and have produced amazing work. So I think for us, 
we did approach traditional publishers and they just thought, well, every answer was kind of the same. It was, there are so many cookery books out there, you know, it's just going to be just one of many and it's not, it's not for us, you know, it's too niche. Um, if it doesn't already exist, it means there isn't a market. So we were kind of not discouraged by this, but we thought, right, we have to find a different way yeah. of um, of doing this. And we approached Unbound. And the next day they got back to us. That's how enthusiastic they were. And I think the problem with traditional publishing is that it's risk averse. So there's this model, which is the advance and royalties, which makes it really hard for first time or debut writers to break into the system. And it's hard for established writers to break out of their niche as well. So it really off Unbound as a crowdfunding platform offers a lot more flexibility. Um, and I think it bridges this gap between authors and the audiences and it allows readers to have real input into the kind of books that get published. And they also treat the author publisher relationship as a partnership, which is is something oh, new, yeah. something different. It brings also we are nearly fully funded through the power of social media. We've created a community online. And, um, you know, if you were with a traditional publisher, you probably wouldn't be doing all this marketing for yourself but the fact that we do then it's actually a, a, such a positive thing it's hard work but you get to know the right people the people who could potentially really be interested in this book and then that carries on even afterwards so you know you never know afterwards what you might want to publish or and you already have that community there so it's a really great idea yeah yeah you're building an audience in nowadays every creator we have that you have to build an audience yes and there are ways that do not work, you know, the uh, Facebook, for example, the groups, it's just people read, but they don't engage. Uh, and it's very difficult for a content creator like we are that to find the right platform for you, the right people. And yes, we eventually you get in your, your tribe. But it, I think it's very important that people have clear that, that don't postpone your ideas, just get on with your project because it might be something beautiful, very useful for a lot of other people, for you as well, mainly for you because it's something that you go in your head, you need to get it out. Yes. Because you find it useful. Uh, it's a curiosity and interest that you've had and a lot of people can actually appreciate that. Uh, for like, I mean, if you've never come up with this idea, I would have never thought of it myself because mm. yes, I'm in the gothic space, but I'm in the ghostly, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm the identity and the ghostly and because uh, maybe because I'm an INFP and then <laughs> all these things, yes. you know. So, so there's someone comes and says to me, look at the food in these gothic books. Okay, you got me there because I'm in the gothic space, but all oh, the food, yes, and we were talking about it the other day. Now, just before we open the microphones, uh, I've got stomach issues and how important it is to eat properly or mm. the right thing or or why when you get stressed out, you know, my Achilles is my stomach. So I need to take medication because if I overdo, I, I overeat certain amount of things or fats or fried, fried food mm. and things like that how it affects my stomach, but it's not just my stomach, I can't sleep, then the day after my head is really foggy, that affects my cognitive perception of the yeah. world and my performance, is such a, an important thing and we've been missing it out. So yes. I think it's really important that the message is there for people who find these, that their ideas can be supported by groups like Unbound. So that's, that's really, is. It's fantastic. So yeah. is 
it's basically uh, crowdfunding and and you just keep working as people donate and yes, they do Yes, That's I mean, it's true. unlikely now that we won't reach our target. We're really nearly there. We're just 15% away. So very, I, I hope that with, when people see these, they, they keep um, supporting because it's going to be fantastic. I mean, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get there because I now am so intrigued about the fact that there are essays and this analysis and uh, I'm a learning junkie, so I, I'm going to get my hands there. It's just that there are a lot of options. When we go to the webpage, when people visit the webpage, they're going to see that yes. you can get like different... different types of pledges. So you can pledge for a hardback or an ebook. Um, and we have this uh, great thing that Lee does, which is a gothic pet portrait. So you can actually get your pet um a portrait of your pet and he will do it in the gothic style for you but yeah i saw that there are lots lots of things that you can get it's fantastic <laughs> yes so do you have a look and see um yes because it's uh it's got some interesting pledges i think there is still one where ella and i will be dressed as um yeah well the second Mrs. De Winter and Mrs. Danvers, and we'll bring oh. you tea. We, we will bring you cakes and um, and everything necessary for a tea time at home to your address. So, oh, you know, that's beautiful. That's amazing. I'm just surprised how surprised how much you can stretch the idea by just concentrating on that idea. How far it'll go? I don't and think we can go to Spain, but in the UK. I can imagine I can imagine it and look when I visit my parents-in-law if you want to come up to Preston you're very welcome or oh, my sister-in-law she lives in Leeds we just meet up we'll see you tea time yeah <laughs> fantastic we were talking um now just you know uh, the last time we met we talked about uh, how we can see food on television and mm -hmm. uh, the kids, the messages. And as I was putting this together based on that conversation and what I was thinking about for today, uh, I came up with this team because <laughs> we talked about it. Yes. Tim Burton is obsessed with food. Yes, he is. <laughs> and the messages. And I've not realized you you made me look into this and think into this. So thank you for that because my brain went like, oh my God. I know we so both beautiful. have an interest in creepy children and we do. Yeah. We have creepy children as well. <laughs> so yeah, Tim Burton. I mean, I picked these four, but I'm sure that in the others there's food as well. There are rituals. I mean, food for Tim Burton is like a ritual. Mm. Uh, it is. It's, and food can really lure, especially when it comes to children, as we said before, you know, with chocolates and sweet things, it lures children in and it makes them feel secure, it makes them feel rewarded. There's nothing wrong in the eyes of a child when you give them you know, an excess of chocolate necessarily. Um, and I think they play on this a lot. I mean, even the Chronicles of Narnia, there's the Ice Queen, I think it is, or the White Queen, the Ice Queen. Um, I think she lures one of them with Turkish delights, doesn't she? And she tries to, that's how she gets what she wants. So, yes. Yeah, it's amazing. It's I mean, one, yeah, so much in there. And now we're going to be all... Who, who watches this later, they're going to start looking into food in everywhere and they're going to find amazing information there. But yeah, like for example, in uh, when we have these celebrations, if we look at Alice in Wonderland, I had to have it because I'm Alice in Gothiland because of my non-like of the story. So that's something that people can read. 
about or medium if anybody follows me there and my brand is based on a book i hate so i had to have it here today <laughs> so but yet this celebration this big this table full of food for this tea party and mm. and it's just really messy and yeah. you get really even you feel like you're full mm. kind of makes you feel sick how many times have we been to places like this where we go to a wedding and we think there is so much food there is no and it depends on the culture obviously but there is so much alcohol so much food and you're putting an excess down because you want to show something you want to show that this is a celebration so the quantity of food will be you know proportionate to how much you want people to know and your guests to feel like yes we are really splashing out this is a big big um event and it symbolizes that then if you get messy with it and you start throwing it around you know that might symbolize something different it might see you know symbolize that you can afford so there's so much that you don't really need to it's just sure. there for for show you know yeah 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 a little bit in in this case i suppose that's what we could tell about beetle juice round uh, down in the on the right at the bottom the fourth picture that we have this celebration, don't we? And it looks like everything in this house is extreme and is super fashionable. And all of a sudden, yeah. it comes alive. And and you're like, oh my god, you just creeped out. Yeah. <laughs> there is something so wrong, isn't there? When we see things like hands or teeth yeah. or eyes in in something which is food, because it's something about our boundaries of food. Mm -hmm. There are many things that we eat where we would think, actually, when we think about it it should be wrong it should be in a sense a taboo as no. mary douglas would say who's an anthropologist who talks a lot about food boundaries and what we consider to be right or mm. wrong isn't right or you know can be right or wrong for someone else in another culture in another context or another time so when we think about even if we go back to horror films you know we we find that our main character has just found an eye in her soup for sure, something is going to happen now, but it's going to compromise her safety. It's just yeah. something is not right. So that's really, I think, and that bottom right picture is what people think. If I say gothic food or food and horror, they think um, a blood and gore and intestines and hands. Yeah. Out. So that's why also perhaps the idea of a gothic cookbook was a little bit unusual. And when I first said that, people were like, well, the thing's these things don't match food doesn't yeah. match with horror food doesn't match but if you look at it from a different perspective obviously as an interpretation and it's not just for show that's obviously a spectacle isn't it so um yeah it wants to make us feel disgusted i'm not a fan of feeling disgusted in horror film i don't yeah. i'm not a gore or splatter person no. personally no, i'm more just supernatural yeah so every so often i i might do watch but yeah no yeah. not to goats and things like that but yeah it's where we would find the unheimliche yeah we find these mm. is the familiar become unfamiliar and, and mm. that's what keeps us out and and the food about the the picture of this kid eating chocolate but also look at the father in the background it just grows yeah <laughs> with the meat and and we eat that because yes but yeah. it's this also these um the amount of food that you can see there and for some reason when there's a lot of amount of food you put always people that are a bit large so mm. there's a connection information here uh, you are what you eat and then 
your size can depend on that. And then you could always imagine someone that is a little bit overweight, like stuffing their face with food. And maybe they actually have um, um, a, a problem. Um, I can't think of the word now. Um, something immune, you know, the immunity system, immune system. It, it doesn't matter how much they eat. They just have this tendency. And so, but we associate, as you were saying before, we are associating certain actions with certain looks as well. And mm. you were telling me the other day about people in this new fashion of let's not eat because it's like a new thing. And then that makes you look better and looks more intelligent even. So that's mm. really, really creepy. Yeah, well, um, I mean, fasting has always existed and it serves its purpose. And, you know, that's fine. But I think that the idea of the bodily shape signifying different things mm. is also an interesting one in relation to food because that also changes and uh, we might think that someone extremely evil is potentially tends to be very very thin but mm. even now with Disney and you see all these backstories of all these evil people and how we're re-evaluating how evil they really are because we're looking at originally what did they do um, to become evil so we have the backstory of um, for example, Cruella de Vil, with the news where it explains, you know, why why she became that evil. It's nearly like we have to go back to, you know, to the origin, the origin story to understand where that that's the kind of yeah, where that comes from, where mm -hmm. those those bad acts come from, and why why they occur. Um, but yes, that's an interesting trend at the moment. I think there's another. Another one's just come out now where it says it's boring to be good or something. It's a new Disney or Pixar one. So boring to be good or it's good to be bad or something like that. So we want to to highlight the fact that also many children will probably think, well, actually evil characters are quite good looking. Before it used to be a witch with maybe a huge nose, disproportionate, you know, and also that in itself is quite problematic because it doesn't, signify anything but in in cartoons or in 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 the mind of a child that would have been the association and then now um for example you get quite handsome evil characters you know oh, my daughter said to me it was about someone in i think it was in corella or in was it in oh maleficent mm, like, if, they, if, if she's so evil why does she look so good you know there's this beauty now right being bad so again identity now we're starting to identify ourselves with certain characters because they look good mm. so we want to look like them and therefore we have to behave like they do oh it's so wrong isn't it it's the yeah. message you might aspire so to that or you might get again this is all perhaps going on more in the subconscious so it's not something that yeah. you you would sure. decide you know, and say from yeah. now on but it's something that's the, me the importance of media in this like is fundamental because we get all these little messages you know yeah. these messages you know um where we always see the same type of character having the same type of destiny and fate in a film and we think well you know that's i need to be like this if i'm going to have a romantic liaison with someone who looks like this you know necessarily if i eat this things are not going to go well for me because i'm going to end up like this or i might you know all of this um is really to do with what the media and what films and stuff like that do to, do to us. Sure, so much We've watched a lot of films now. <laughs> we've oh. been watching, especially during the pandemic, we've been really exposed to 
to more to more and more series and films yeah yeah and then the food that goes in there and, and oh yeah it's fascinating and we've got also cannibalism like we have here you mentioned that before as well about body parts and things but being fed food that we don't know where it comes from mm. and in so that's is per, a perfect example because it's gruesome this film i mean I, it's just like I could only watch it once because of the ending. Mm. But I'm mean, Tim Burton. I love Tim Burton, so it's it's like I will have to watch it again. But it's terrible. Uh, how many times haven't you see having you not seen a piece of news? Someone precisely doing this. I mean, this is fiction, but it happens that people have killed people and put them in pies and. People have done disgusting things in McDonald's with some of the body parts I'm not going to mention. They put them on mayonnaise sauces or, mm. you, you know, so that's a way of actually saying I'm against you. Identity again is just like trying to say uh, I'm against what, what's happening here. And this is my way of going against it or to show my, my mm. opinion. And then like even like taking revenge on people you know yes, like, it's an issue it raises the question of trust and how we trust these establishments um especially you mentioned mcdonald's places like restaurants places uh -huh. like cafes we don't really know what goes on behind closed doors we trust yes. that the food that reaches our table has been dealt with hygienically and that's just something that isn't is fascinating because why would one necessarily think that it couldn't that it couldn't happen that well, we're prepared to accept this because it's part of our culture and it's part of how we socialize we need to trust and um and i think that's that's important you know that's an important part of who we are but it's yeah. again full of contradictions highlighted by food in fact there's a really great film called get out and um there's a scene where it's really creepy the kitchen door opens and you see something and then it shuts again and it's just that glimpse into something that isn't quite right and then everyone else is at the table and it's this separation again what Sydney Mintz was talking about you know with the sites of production we don't know what happens at some point at some stage we need to trust so yeah it's how yeah trust do you put into well, that is when you think about what they can do and, and then not think too much no, <laughs> no, no, no. No, <laughs> that's, no, no. that's no, what no. i've done for the last three years about <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing also you mentioned um folklore and you mentioned also for kids and and we well, in fairy tales you talked to me about hansel and gretel and oh my god yes this is we've got again chocolate but then we have cannibalism and an old woman, like you were just saying before, the same in, in Snow White with the poison apple, something that's so lovely. And apples are, are, are cursed forever. And then in Little Red Riding Hood, we call the basket, is the thing that triggers a lot. And in Beauty and the Beast, which is one of my favorite cartoons and stories, I know that the messages might not be ideal for everybody, but I just love it's one of my it's my favorite, right? And again, this food, the banqueting in a way through your stomach, you can gain this uh love or trust on people. Mm, yeah. So getting this trust through food as well, I and mean, in for kids. Yes. <laughs> well, they say that stomach is like the second brain, so we, we have to trust our gut sometimes, don't we? Yes. So it's just as important. <laughs> 
and and it provides you know whatever you put there is as they say you know if you are what you eat it's important what you what you put in there like in terms of your behavior that's also problematic and it's not necessarily you know grounded in anything real but in terms of the stories it's the symbology of it and obviously the symbology of the apple which is probably you know very very important in in lots of stories for for yeah. a reason which is maybe more akin to religion but yeah the fairy tales yeah they they're incredible when you think some of the things that still persist now so the the, the sweetness is still very much a main character in in anything to do with especially with children yes yes that's that's why your your research really goes into the the sugar because it really goes everywhere doesn't it it's not like something that is not nice and pleasant then obviously there's not much to talk about but something that is bad for you but it's nice Mm. that's where we have this controversial conversation maybe yeah but it tastes nice but it's bad for you and what people say don't they they always say why is it that the worst things the unhealthier things are the things that you enjoy the most Mm. yes (laughs) but let's also to begin with sugar had a really important function of people used to die from eating fruit from the trees it was something that was a real problem through sugar we were then able to preserve fruit and make it safe for people to eat so it came, again, we have the positive that is tied to the negative always. Um, and there's always been like, there's always been a real wanting to preserve food because it's, it's difficult to look for food day to day. You need, there was always a will to preserve as much as possible so that it would keep for, for the future. And sugar was one of those things that was also really important in, in terms of preserving food. And so allowing people to live a more sedentary life you know a safer life so again we have that connection between the good and the bad so i guess that you have learned lots of things through this research as well as your own intuition and and your own experience mm. in kitchen i have to say that that is very important because you you were you used to work I, in, in, in i worked in a restaurant um for 10 years and so i was in close contact with um with the kitchen and i was able i had the uh real kind of um it was a it was a real illuminating experience to see how a michelin starred kitchen works and and how people kind of worked with food and the importance of food for those people so it was an unforgettable experience yeah, I think I think it's an important piece of information as well for those who don't know about this book because sometimes, you know, some people do not care about who writes a, a book. Uh, but if you are like me, I like to know why this person wrote it, what were the reasons, but also the experience with that topic. And I think it brings a lot more trust in this book, the fact that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Because you're not just in the gothic space, you were also in the food space. So yes. you talking from the experience part. Also, as a mom, you have a child. So yes. all these, and, and and probably with Forella, we would have to see her background and what drew drew her to do this collaboration with you as well. And probably yes. we will find this book brings all these pieces of YouTube and the There's illustrations. So many pieces, and it's so difficult to 
sometimes to match them up because chronologically they come at different times and but to have the privilege to work in a restaurant of that caliber and with those people is I think is quite rare and for such a length of time that I was able to really appreciate the people who have the passion for food and who are able to relay that passion to others and then it carries on in generations to come it's one of those places so and so that's I was also very lucky in that sense it's fantastic well we've been an hour now talking about this fantastic book time flies when you're having fun and people supporters <laughs> we get it to the end supporters coffee.com uh alice in gothic land 1402 that's for the whole project but also to support Alessandra there because that's an extra and it's something apart I want to ask for uh, if you like the interview and her work that's also something that we're gonna I'm gonna be sharing with her but then we obviously we have this one to support the book itself and the other people in the book so there's like two kinds of support the, the person coming here today and the group of people working on the cookbook and it's lovely I mean go and visit this space because I couldn't just show everything and I want people to really go and see on the web page all the options and to to read it because it's amazing you give so many different possibilities I've never seen anybody offering so many things from the same book (laughs) and so it's like this is a book by it no it's you can either buy these or you can buy that or you can get these if you pay this much you get this it's fantastic I mean it's a great idea so it's um thank you yeah thank you for talking to me today so that i could explain a bit more about the book yeah i hope that you you've managed to say things here that you might have not covered in other places because not to be special or anything but just maybe uh so when people see you in different um interviews as well they get different sides and more definitely and more things out of the book so the more we know about it the more people will be interested in, yeah. in buying it. so but we can also find you in your social media so i encourage people to follow you on twitter Thank which you. is there you are food for floor <laughs> and in instagram you saw charlie well sasa charlie you, you don't have to explain but it's interesting <laughs> that you have <laughs> everywhere <laughs> but yeah follow you Thank and you and I mean, and support people, follow, support, share. If you cannot economically support, as we were saying, you can also support by telling other people because you never know who you might be helping as well. So that's fantastic. And this is me, I'm all over the show. This is not really good. It's, all, it's just too much, too much for me. But uh, I keep adding prices. <laughs> gonna have that's to great. analyze what is really not working and remove it from there. But welcome to Alice in Gothic Land, everyone. Uh, thank you for this time, Ali. I'm so happy. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this so much. I've, I've learned so much, which is the thing with this interview. It's not just interviewing per se, for the sake of interviewing someone. Is you know, for me, it's a process. I I follow the person. I see if we engage, and then I read the stuff. And in your case, I can't read it yet because it's not out there yet. But uh, but I know more about this and and your project, and it's brought a lot of light, and I hope it's going to help a lot of people to look into their texts from a different point of view. Yes. 
um, analyze things more, use the critical thinking, because this is what we are all about as well. And and, and Alice in Gothic Land is about creating awareness in a lot of spaces. And I also bring people that have that, you know, this mm. critical thinking that look at things from a holistic point of view and and you bring your experience and your, your studies and your research. And well, what's next for you, Alessandra? What's next? So finishing the book, obviously. And yes, then that's a priority. That's a a priority for now. I can't think further ahead now because <laughs> I've just got to get this, we've got to get this done. And um, and that's going to take a few months at least to conclude everything. So yeah, some busy times ahead, but I hope to go on holiday soon because after the PhD, I feel like I should go on a very long holiday. <laughs> yeah, you deserve it. You deserve it. And I hope that you, uh, with these uh, being adopted now, you can also, also see ahead all the projects and and yes and I'm sure you've been interesting interesting things to come I think and um and I'm really excited both in the space of food and of cultural memory which okay. um which is what I love as well that's great so all the people have to do is follow you support yeah. you and Thank then you. wait for more good things to come along we and update people as they pledge obviously we send updates and let them know how we're getting on and That's when to, to expect the book. That's super, so cool. Fantastic. Well, I hope to see you soon again in the program. I know that we have to have a little chat, you and I. Yeah, <laughs> and then there'll be surprises. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.